be uh Talk Radio. This is BC Radio Live with Philip and Eric. Live online at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. Aloha! Tonight's show may set a new high mark for Eclectic, and it should be a lot of fun. First up, we'll talk with a behavioral scientist who is also a Frank Sinatra impersonator, Michael McCone. Then we'll switch gears to talk to best-selling author Mary Roach. Her sizzling hot new book is called Bonk, the curious something of science. After that, we'll chat with Jack Dangers of Meat Beat Manifesto. The new album Autoimmune was just released yesterday. Finally, Mississippi-born Americana singer-songwriter Caroline Herring will join us to chat about her latest album, Lantana. From Sinatra to sex and from industrial music to country music, this is BC Radio Live. The chat room is now open at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio and the live video feed is now running. I am Philip Wynn, Chief Geek at BC Magazine, and I am joined tonight by Eric Olson, founder and publisher of BC Magazine. Hello, Eric. Philip, hello. What an amazing show. It's too bad my body has chosen tonight to be smacked with a vicious virus, but I will soldier through because that's the kind of guy I am. Well, that's impressive. Also with us tonight is Lisa McKay, executive editor of BC Magazine. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Hi, guys. How are you tonight? Good, but better than Eric. <laughs> good, good psychologically. Good psychologically, you sound chipper in spite of being sick. Yeah, well, you know, hey, when the when the red light comes on, you know, with with my radio past, uh, when, when that red light comes on, uh, no matter what the situation may be, I feel I feel it surging in my blood. Well, That's, there you go. You're a pro. I. Well, something. we do have four segments we hope to get to tonight, so uh, let's try to jump right in and, and see how far we can get. Dr. Michael J. Baglino is a college professor of behavioral science specializing in international cultural issues by day, but by night he becomes Michael Matone, Frank Sinatra impersonator. Here is a little bit of Michael Matone singing Angel Eyes. Drink up all you people Order anything you see Have fun, you happy people The dreams and the To think that love's not around Still it's uncomfortably near My old heart ain't That was Angel Eyes from Michael Matone. His website is michaelmatone.com. Welcome to BC Radio Live, Michael. Thank you, thank you, Eric. Well, that was Philip, but hello, Michael. Okay. <laughs> right. I, I, just I mean, got on here, and I'm gonna call Eric. So, well, I, I understand, and you know, it's kind of hard to tell when when you're on the radio. It's, 
can't really see. Although, if you're in the chat room, you can actually see Philip. He's sitting there running the oh, board. Looking well, well, I'm not on the computer, actually. I just made the call. Oh, uh, well, okay. So, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm just uh, waiting around. I finished watching O'Reilly, and then I made the call. <laughs> what what a fascinating uh, dichotomy is is your life. How how did you uh, take these twin paths of uh, behavioral science and uh, Sinatra esque crooning? We should we should make it clear though that you're not just a Sinatra impersonator. You do a lot of kind of the classic crooner era type material, right? Yeah, right. The you know, well, of course, I have the updated version, the updated tracks from Michael Bublé, and um, I'm able to do that. Though, I have a sometimes on my show shows I say, you know, it wasn't long ago I was half the age of uh, of Frank Sinatra, and now I'm twice the age of Michael Bublé. But I can I can handle it. I can do it. <laughs> so we do some of his uh, stuff, and uh, yeah, Bobby Darren, you know, and Dean Martin, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Well, your your site, and then when you when you switch over to, uh, I guess it's another site where where there's samples. It's quite an impressive show, and it's you got you got the whole routine together. It's not just you singing. You can put together an entire review. It looks like, right? Well, um, I have a talented family. My wife is a dancer, and my kids are dancers, so they come up and they back me up sometimes. Ah, interesting. Yeah, and, uh, we have some we have we have some fun. So. And and they dance to some of the Buble stuff, like if we do Sway, you know, which is a Latin number, uh, upbeat, you know, that kind of thing, or Save the Last Dance for Me. Um, so some of those some of those upbeat Latin songs, they'll they'll be dancing behind me. So uh, back back to the question, which of course I interrupted myself, which is not unusual. How did you how did these twin paths come to be? Well, uh, you know, it's really not so strange, but it's, uh, you know, my father was a singer, and I was brought up to be a singer, I guess. I guess it was my father's first dream for me. But, you know, when I, you know, you go to college and you get misdirected, and well, not misdirected, but, you know, I got an education, you know, and I thought you had to work for a living, and I got in the education area, and I just dabbled. But I knew this was this was something that I had in the back of my mind that, you know, I was in theater and college plays and those kinds of things, but, but, you know, I thought I had to work for a living, you know, rather than entertain. So it's just that uh, when I turned 55, something clicked, you know, something clicked, and uh, uh, I look a lot younger than I really am, and I really do. But I uh, guess. I was going to say, it. boy, you don't, look, you don't look that old. Yeah, I, you know, I really... So uh, it's like God gave me a second life for sure, you know, and I'm, I'm able to do things that uh, most people my age can't do. So I, just something clicked, and I said, uh, it's time to do this, you know, because I've lived the life, and uh, now if I sing Sinatra songs, it's believable, you know. I mean, before when I sang Sinatra songs... I was younger, people would say, yeah, cute kid, you know. Right. You know, singing Sinatra isn't that cute, and that would be it, you know, and I never really did it professionally. Uh, but when I turned, when I, you know, I got into my early to mid-50s, it's just like, I, I, this is the time. So I did it, and boom, it just happened so quickly. And I, and I knew all the lyrics of all his songs because my father used to sing it, and it just came to me, and I started getting gigs, and, and uh, just things happened very fast. Now you're based in South Florida. I'm in South Florida. Do you travel uh, to do shows, or you do most of your work down there? I do most of the work here, but I do travel. We I had a Rat Pack show in Texas and Houston recently. We went up to Charlotte, North Carolina. We had a Rat Pack show. 
I went back to Houston and I was my, uh, just me. Uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, I went to Denver, went to Colorado and did a show. So uh, I travel every once in a while, but mostly uh, mostly Florida. Right? Now, now, when you're performing Sinatra, or anyone else for that matter, uh, do you really throw yourself into the persona? In other words, do you really go whole hog the impersonator route, or is it just more the stylings of? No, the stylings of. I, I don't get into... Um, uh, the impersonation uh, that much. I mean, uh, I have creepy. a general. Excuse me. Because it's creepy. Well, some of the people I know <laughs> a lot of them. You know, I know a lot of impersonators, and yes, I guess that's a good word for it. It's like, <laughs> boy, they just get carried away here. You know, I mean, I don't know. I'd really like to be myself. You know. Sure. Although I grew up. You know, my my father idolized Sinatra's contemporary Sinatra. I grew up. I was into the Beatles. What you know, and it's not. But I knew Sinatra. You know, right. and as I got older, I got started to appreciate him more. But you know, listen, I'm I'm an Italian American. I'm from Brooklyn, New York, originally. Um, you know, we Sinatra was our leader. Sinatra was the one that made uh, open doors for us. Sinatra was, you know, our our idol. You know that we wanted to be like. So. So I have that kind of look, and I have a you know Italian American style, etc. But to imitate him and be exactly him, uh, uh-uh, uh. You know? No, no, I I think your way is <laughs> yeah. it's the way to go because you got a lot more flexibility, you know. Exactly, exactly, and I do a lot of things that he can't do. You know, he he could never he because he's dance dead, much. huh? Because he's dead. Well, <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. You know what I mean, right? And, uh, you know, so, uh, I mean, they called him a jazz singer, too. But, they, you know, some of this stuff was jazzy, but most of it, I don't think you could really call it jazz. But they said he was a jazz singer. Well, Yeah, you know, as a, as a music uh, historian, which I, which I am in my part-time, I suppose, uh, I, mean, I mean, that's most of my background uh, in, in media is, is to do with music and music writing and whatnot. And w- when you do delve into it, I mean, there's an awful lot of experts and musicologists and whatnot who consider him to be, uh, well, on the one hand, you know, probably the greatest male singer anyway of the yeah, I mean, he's got a great voice, popular singer voice, of the 20th yeah. century. But right. the jazz aspect, I think, came in uh, more that he uh, approached songs flexibly and that uh-huh. he, you know, was an improviser to a certain extent. I think more, probably more alive than not. And he was deeply involved with his own arrangements mm-hmm. often, I think. Right. And uh, and all that. But, yeah, no, I think your approach makes a lot more sense. It's, you know, it's keyed to Sinatra, but it's not a, a slavish imitation. It's not a, you know, a vague right. even And you know what? People don't really care. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it has to be a special venue. But when they say, "Here's a Sinatra," I'm a tribute artist. All right, let's right, that's right. It. So, but they 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 want a Sinatra impersonator. But when I sing and I'm, I don't, I do not impersonate him. As long as you can carry the music in the quality that people want, they don't care if you're an impersonator. It's the music that's great. You know, and uh, so if you can carry that music with with uh, with a quality voice and style, that's really what they want. They don't care if anybody impersonates him. I, I don't think. Uh, well, and there you are have, a few, but there are a few out there. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Well, he more than <laughs> more than most. No, you and you certainly have uh, a quality to your voice, a tonality to your voice that is reminiscent of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think you certainly pull it off, from what I've heard. Uh, the mm-hmm. recordings sound great. Um, in fact, in fact, we do have. Uh, we're coming really close to the end of our time. Unfortunately, we've got a very busy show tonight. 
Uh, but we do have another sample from uh, your website. I've got uh, 44 seconds or so of World on a String. Is there anything uh, you'd like to say about that, Michael? Well, uh, that was one of my first first recordings that I did. I was hoping you'd pick up something from my video, but I guess that's kind of difficult, uh, though there were some good ones, uh, you know, excerpts from that. But that was one of the first ones that I did, and I, and that really, I, I tried to do it pretty much not the same voice, but in the exact same style as Sinatra. So go right ahead. All right. Here we go. <laughs> I've got the world on a string I'm sitting on a rainbow Got the string around my finger What a world, what a life Hey, I'm in love I've got a song that I sing I can make the rain go Anytime I move my finger Lucky me, can't you see I'm in love? Life's a beautiful. Well, that was World on a String, as yeah. performed by Michael Matone, a tribute artist to Frank Sinatra and other Rat Pack era singers. And I might say, I do Michael Bublé's arrangement of that song, and he's got a great arrangement. Now I do that, because that was a few years ago. Now I do ah. Bublé. So that's just to show, I mean, I. I try to keep up. <laughs> that, that, that's actually a big sort of debate in my household. I'm a fan of Sinatra, and my wife is a fan of Michael Bublé. So um, we, we play songs back and forth at each other. <laughs> <laughs> She's a young punk. <laughs> yeah, too young to appreciate the uh, the good stuff, I guess. Well, Sinatra well, Mike, definitely has a better voice, but Bublé has great arrangements. Very, very good arrangement. And he has the advantage of being young and alive. Exactly. <laughs> His earning potential is higher doing owing to the... <laughs> Moving forward, life. yes. <laughs> Although well, you always see like, Sinatra near the top of the, you know, the dead, uh, the dead artist list as far as income. It's, oh, right. it's Elvis, Sinatra, Marilyn Monroe, you know, the icons. <laughs> and and uh, but can I add one thing? And sure. Sinatra is to uh, say he's also the top of the charity list. He was the biggest charity giver. Huh? Hey, did you ever meet him? I met his son. I see. I see that in the yeah. on your site. There's yeah, a picture. I met there. his son. We had uh, uh, we had a good talk. So uh, and and his son is terrific. Nano doesn't have that personality, you know. Uh, you know, but uh, he's a good singer. Very good. He really is. Well, the website is michaelmatone.com. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-M-A-T-O-N-E.com. Thank you very much for talking with us tonight, Michael. Thank you. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, um, Mary Roach has written a hilarious book about dead bodies called Stiff and a funny book about science and the afterlife called Spook. And now she's taken her formula, equal parts science and laughter, roughly, and turned to the subject of sex. Her new book is called Bonk, The Curious Coupling of Science and Sex. Her book tour started yesterday, and welcome to BC Radio Live, Mary. Thank you so much. Well, uh, I'm Philip, by the way, since you missed the intro. <laughs> Hi, Philip. There's one thing, actually, I kind of want to get out of the way right up front, because I, I've seen some interviews that, that kind of edge up to the subject, and I know several uh, friends have asked me about this when they heard you were going to be on the show. Yeah. 
in researching this book, you and your husband contributed something you know, unique to sex research in general. And in so doing, I think your husband was revealed as possibly the bravest man in history and certainly a new personal <laughs> hero of mine. He's the hardest working man in showbiz. Oh, oh he is. Yeah, that's why the book is dedicated to him. The, he's just the very definition of a good sport. He can't believe what I made him do. Oh, well, you you and your husband man. had sex while being recorded in 4D ultrasound. Yeah, yeah, we did. And that, what that means, you know, people people tend to think, oh, it's like an MRI tube, and you were just in this tube. Well, no, actually, the, there's a guy standing, you know, uh, standing like four inches away, holding an ultrasound wand to my belly to, you know, record what's going on inside of me. And of course, I'm. Just, I'm taking notes the whole time. Ed's the one who's got the, you know, the burden of performance. Oh my! Was he whistling nervously, the ultrasound guy? <laughs> he was such a, uh, a wonderfully sweet and, and kind of nerdy guy. He was, uh, he was just completely consumed with his little, you know, his 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 uh, screen and his his knobs and his, you know, he, he's and he's so excited that we're, we're getting data, we're getting images. This is much better than I thought it would be. You know, you you would have no idea that there's a, a couple, you know, engaged in. His screen and his knobs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think I've had nightmares that sound kind of like uh, what you're describing. And it was, you know, when we we went into the room, you know, of course it's it's like a hospital ultrasound room. There's the equipment and a bed and the little hospital johnnies for us to put on. But he never really said at any point, okay, now it's time to lie down. We're just sort of making small talk and... It kind of goes on for a while, and of course we don't want to be the first ones to say, "Okay, you know, let's get down to it," because we're thinking somehow in some weird way maybe he'll forget and he'll we'll just leave. <laughs> and uh, then he reaches over at one point and locks the door. You know, like, uh, you know, uh oh, there's Here we your go. There's that sign. Yeah. You know, we should mention that although your book is quite funny, I, I'm not sure it could really be described as titillating. You, you talk about you talk about the history of sex research, sex yeah, no, surgery. No, no. Right. Sex mishaps, animal sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Penile surgery is not at all titillating. Oh. I'm here to tell I, you. I, I'm not sure I can actually eat bacon anymore. Actually, after reading your book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, pigs. Pigs play um, a major role in chapter whatever it is seven. Oh, oh, was, oh, yeah. It's it's an image I'd like to forget. <laughs> there are a lot of those images in the book. Yeah, I actually I was describing one of these procedures to to Ed at, uh, at one point. He actually just crossed he crossed his legs. This <laughs> uh, 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 was uh, what was it? It was some kind of oh oh it was this this um, erectile dysfunction device, which is essentially a rod that you slide up the urethra. You know, like just sort of a flagpole. Like just stick this in there, and no one will know. This is actually oh. the U.S. Patent Office. I came across it. Uh, wow. That's yeah, I just I just crossed my legs too, actually, <laughs> involuntarily. I think that's what Ed did. Yeah. Wow. Nice. Well, it's, it's kind of funny. Your your two previous books can probably be described as taking really creepy subjects, you know, death, the dead bodies, the afterlife, uh, and making them, if not really pleasant, at least approachable. Yeah. And this book. To me, it almost seems like you're trying to do the opposite. You're taking one of the things that a lot of people enjoy a lot <laughs> and making it almost as unapproachable as possible. Making it really, really, really unappealing. Yeah. That's, yeah. The, that's my new trick. Yeah. Um, yes, it does seem to be. Um, yeah, I think we're stiff. 
made almost made being a, a research cadaver seem fun and fulfilling, and uh, which is kind of a, a feat for you know it's normally not something one would get excited about. Uh, and this one, yeah, uh, does it, it, it's not there's not sex going on in this book that makes you think, wow, I wish that were me. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. There, there's. It, it is mostly research. Uh, in fact, there's yeah. some really interesting research in the book about um, the difference between male and female sexual response as yeah. related to straight sex, gay sex, bonobo sex, <laughs> monkey sex. Yeah, that that was fascinating to me because yeah, it was it was this uh, woman Meredith Chivers who who figured out that uh, contrary to stereotypes, um, women are more universally responsive to sexual imagery. In other words, the, it, visually stimulated. Yeah, they they uh well it's, it's there they will respond to a gay couple, straight couple, uh whatever kind of sexual imagery it is, whereas men tend to respond only to the imagery that fits their sexual orientation. So, uh that was a kind of a surprise to me. So, but now so straight men for example, of which I are one, yep. uh would respond to imagery of either a heterosexual couple. Right. Or, oddly enough, a lesbian couple. Well, yeah. Or, or a, a pseudo-lesbian couple. That was the, yeah, that was the exception because e- even though it's a gay couple, it's two naked women. So right. So that was sort of what they were responding to. But in general, they, you know, men would not respond to imagery that didn't sort of fit their sexual orientation. But the women, you know, I should point out, this was a physiological measurement of genital blood flow, and if you ask the women, it might be a different story because women have a disconnect between body and mind, which uh, uh, actually makes it very hard to find a drug that works for them because it may work in terms of showing a significant increase in blood flow to their genitals, but if you ask them, they'll go, yeah, it didn't do anything for me. No, didn't notice anything. So, right. Um, so there, there basically is going to be no female Viagra probably ever. No, no, there's not. They, they, what they're looking at now is uh, drugs that affect the central nervous system in some way. They're not. They've given up on making it a blood flow thing because that's not. That's not going to happen. Hey, you spent some time in the book talking about a lot of the crazy things that people, that scientists specifically, have believed about sex in the past, as far back as Leonardo da Vinci. Yep. Uh, what would you say is the single oddest thing you uncovered while researching this book? In terms of uh, some of, of mistaken assumptions or yeah, let's say mistaken ideas. Yeah, that, well, coital interlocking, I would say, was <laughs> that was a doozy, and that went on for centuries. That was this assumption, partly because nobody could see inside at that point. There wasn't MRI or uh, ultrasound, so it was it was anybody's guess what the penis and vagina were sort of doing in there, and there was this belief that the uh, penis actually went inside, like the cervix opened up like a Pac-Man, and like it went inside and there was this interlock, kind of like with dogs, and that if somebody couldn't get, a couple couldn't get pregnant because they had a bad interlock. Well, it it doesn't happen anything like that. But that persisted for centuries, this whole business about coital interlocking. And uh, it wasn't until that there was a very enterprising guy in the 1890s, Robert Latou Dickinson, who was a gynecologist who used a test tube in a way that uh, scientists don't usually use a test tube. He uh, slid one um, inside a woman and then shined a light through and actually, you know, figuring that the test tube would follow the tracks, you know, the course that a penis would. He looked through it and he said, huh, it's not even going, it's not even hitting the cervix head on. The cervix is off to the side. This whole thing is... Is bunk. Sounds like Fatty Arbuckle. 
<laughs> Did Fatty Arbuckle use a test tube? No, nah, he used a liquor bottle. I think. Oh, that's right. That's right, right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. I, I had to interject. <laughs> no, I think any time you can interject Fatty Arbuckle into a car. I, I do often. I may be sitting here with a cat, and it'll just I'll just spurt it out. Fatty Arbuckle. It's so fun to say. It is. Fatty Arbuckle. And it along, like along with words like spurt. So. Well, spurt sure. is good, too. Yeah. Do, do you think that we have beliefs today that someday people are going to look back on and shake their heads just like we're shaking our heads now at the interlock theory? In, in the realm of sex? Um, yeah. yeah. Or are we, are we maybe not have all the details figured out, but at I least seem more, to know what we're doing? Yeah, I think it's more that uh, we're still figuring out some of the, the details, but I don't think there's any like, major... Uh, major misbeliefs that still exist. There's still things that you know, science can't really figure out, like you know what exactly triggers the moment of ejaculation, and you know how does that work physiologically. And then there's the whole business about upsuck and fertility, which I don't need to go into a whole discussion, but it's fascinating, <laughs> and that's not entirely settled. And uh, so you know, I, I don't think I can't think of anything. You know, we're we're down to the fine tuning, you know, the, the details and the subtleties. Like that guy, Chafik, the the guy in the book, right. who, you know, with the laboratory rats in the polyester pants. Um, mm. That that, that he, he he actually does an uh, he, well, he's, he's passed away, but he did do some work on sexual reflexes, things that happen, like if you you know penetrate a vagina, it causes this part to contract and this, you know, all this stuff goes on and that, you know, nobody has ever studied before and nobody's quite sure why this all happens and how it all works, but um, I wish somebody else would do more of that work, but nowadays the money is all in uh, pharmaceutical research and looking for a, a sort of a female sex drug, libido drug. A when silver bullet. About, exactly. When you're talking about the money, I think that, that maybe reminds me of, of the section you had on, on basically a medical use of vibrators, oh, that, yeah. that women would go to their doctors for relief from hysteria, right? and, and basically the treatment was nothing more than they could deliver themselves. That was an amazing, yeah, there was a book called The Technology of Orgasm by Rachel Maines, and it's an extraordinary uh, story because it was, there's this condition that, the doctors believed in called hysteria. Just sort of generally, she's she's this woman is a, you know, I don't know what ails her, but she's 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 tense and she's irritable and there's a, she has various you know complaints of malaise and so let's bring in the vibrator and see. If, and but the, what was interesting is that um, first of all, supposedly according to this book, the doctors didn't really know what they were delivering. They, you know, see, obviously it was a, some sort of a reaction going on. And the, the woman seemed to be relaxed and, and enjoying benefiting from the treatment, but apparently they didn't quite know. I mean, I guess that you know men were so unaccustomed to women having orgasms that they didn't know what was actually happening, which is really hard for me to imagine. Well, unfortunately, we're running a little bit short on time, but uh, I've got at least one more question. It's it's a personal question, uh, but then again, you've put video footage of of you and your husband Ed having sex on the internet. So, yeah, so what's I'm a personal question ask after me, that? Ask me anything. <laughs> well, after traveling the world to uh, collect information and interviews and all the things that you've seen for this book, do you find yourself personally thinking about sex differently? I mean, has it changed your attitude or, or practices at all? Uh, there was a there was a span of time when I was reading uh, Masters and Johnson's book, Human Sexual mm -hmm. Response, which is this incredibly detailed look at 
the human sexual response cycle from arousal through orgasm, and it goes through every part of the body, and it'll be like, the sex flush that spreads across the chest happens now, and then there'll be a point where the earlobes swell, and there may be more saliva production. So it's this whole uh, list, laundry list of things that happen to you when you're aroused. So that, when I was reading that, I found myself sort of like, you know, a spectator in, in my own bedroom kind of thinking, oh, is this the part where my earlobes are going to swell? And, you know, just kind of, and it was very distracting. I felt like I was sort of, you know, splitting off from myself and um, trying to see these things in action without really, you know, telling Ed this is what I'm doing. But, you know, just kind of like, huh, well, that's interesting. That kind of explains that. Huh, very, very interesting. So uh, that was kind of, it was distracting and peculiar. But in general, I think... Uh, it's it, it's been enlightening, and there's certainly a few little things I picked up along the way that were uh, beneficial. So, yeah, you don't have, you don't have to answer in too much detail there. Yeah, okay. Well, uh, la- last question actually. I know you're you're touring right now to to support this book, and we'll mention where uh, people can find out about that. But have you already started on your next project? Uh, I actually I have started on a new project. It's very hard for me to find. Uh, Things, areas of science that lend themselves to, fun, you know, there's fun history, there's some humor to be had, there's surrealness, mm-hmm. there's information. So it's always a tricky thing, but I'm actually, I'm heading, I'm heading into uh, outer space. I'm doing a, a book about uh, space exploration in the upside-down world of uh, traveling to Mars and all that kind of stuff and hanging out at space agencies. Wow. <laughs> I, I'm definitely looking forward to that one. Oh, I'm glad to uh, hear that. Good. We have been talking with Mary Roach about sex. Her uh, hilarious book, Bonk, The Curious Coupling of Science and Sex, is available now. Uh, you can order it from Amazon at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. And Mary is touring the country right now. Tomorrow she'll be in Menlo Park. Yep. And on Monday in Austin, Texas. Yep. And, uh, ba- and then back to California, I believe. So you can find out more about the book tour at her site, maryroach.net. Thank you very much for talking with us tonight, Mary. Oh, thank you for having me on. It was my pleasure, so to speak. All right. right. Well, let's. Uh, we, we need to move on again. Uh, we, I keep mentioning we, we have a, a bit of a tight show, so let's listen to a little bit of "I Hold the Mic" by Meat Beat Manifesto before bringing them uh, before bringing him on the show. Jack Dangers. Welcome to BC Radio Live, Jack. Hey, actually, it's uh, Drew as tour manager. Sorry that uh, oh. I don't have back for you. We, uh, we're on the first day of our tour, and we're setting up and sound checking, and we ran into some technical difficulties. So I couldn't pry Jack away from the equipment because we got to get this uh, show rolling. So, but we did want uh, want our voice to be out there, you know, and let you know that we didn't forget. So I called. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's 
that's funny. But hey, you you, you have put your you have thrust yourself into the lion's den. <laughs> well, I promised Jack that I wouldn't answer any questions that I couldn't answer, and uh, so this is my first tour with them, so I might plead the fifth a little bit. You know. <laughs> well, that's certainly too bad. I mean, not you know, not that you're here. That's a wonderful thing. But uh, I, I was I was excited uh, on the level that I had interviewed Jack just about exactly ten years ago for the Encyclopedia of Record Producers. Uh, and he's in that book, and uh, we had a great time talking, and and you know, of course, learned a lot about him, and was interested to see uh, any changes in perspective and whatnot over over the ten year period. But hey, you know, that's uh, <laughs> that's you know, just the way it goes, right? I think, and you know, the thing is, is he wants to like he wants to hit you on those changes of perspective. You know, that's so he kind of that's why I called because. Uh, obviously, we're on air live now, but he wanted to know if there was a time that uh, possibly, you know, we could try to call you back when it wasn't, um, you know, if it's not today, maybe the next time you do a show or something, or when they're not in the middle of the first day of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, actually, we also do a, we do a daily half-hour report on kind of the main uh, blog talk radio for, for the whole network show. We do a daily uh, kind of entertainment report at... 3 Eastern on weekdays. So that would always be available. So 3 Eastern on weekdays. So we can basically call you anytime at 3 Eastern. Like if, if we got a spot tomorrow, we could hail you guys up and uh, just do an impromptu. Yeah, we, we'd have to set it up in advance. And I don't mean way in advance. I mean, you know, a few hours because it's, it's a different phone line. It's actually a different, uh, since this is Internet radio, it's on a different URL. It's a different show, in other words. But, Absolutely. Uh, but, but yeah, we do. So that would be fine, and I, I would be happy. And, and believe me, I, I complete, we completely understand the you know the necessity of of getting it together, especially a show as as complex as yours. Why don't you tell us about it a little bit? I mean, it's a it's a combination of of audio and video, and and I, and there's uh, there's a lot going on at the same time, right? Maybe you can run us through it a little bit. I mean, you know, and like I said, this is actually my first tour with with Meet Beat Manifesto. So I'm almost actually looking forward to the show tonight because I've never seen the show live myself. Uh, but in dealing with the gear and set, setting everything up, it is. It's a great multimedia event. You know, it's just it's, it's great music, lots of awesome video clips, good dub stuff. You know, it's just really, uh, you know, Jack's, uh, he's got a, a super uh, eye and ear for, for putting these things together and, you know, from my understanding and actually sitting and talking with Jack as we've been traveling out here a little bit to get to this show, um, it's even much more of a of an event than kind of his album in a way because of all the visual effects that do go into the show and uh, the fact that it is such a multimedia event. Well, let's tell let's tell people where they can get information on it. Where are you guys kicking off? Where is it? Where's the show? We're tonight? in uh, Seattle at Nemo's this evening. Cool. Uh, let's tell people that they can get all kinds of information on the tour and uh, updates from Jack and whatnot at www.meetbeatmanifesto, oddly enough, dot com. But don't put in the oddly enough. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really cool site, and there's a lot of great uh, background and what's going on and uh, showing, uh, you know, it's pretty clear how complex this whole thing is. I haven't seen them play. He's always had, or they, I should say, have always had a strong visual component to it, and uh, it really is an amazing show. I probably haven't seen them in, 
in over 10 years myself. Now, I, I, something I was completely unaware of, and, and maybe I was just dumb 10 years ago, because maybe it's been going on for that long, but I was not aware that he had this uh, autoimmune problem himself. That's, I believe, um, why he hasn't toured in a long time. Do you know how long that's been going on? How long has he had that? I don't. I know that, um, like, I, from my understanding, the last uh, the last tour they did was like six years ago. Yeah, that sounds about right. And so, and I think uh, from from what I've gathered is that actually it was even before that. Uh, but you know, I don't want to like I don't want to say the wrong thing. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. You know, the uh, the actual details. You know, right. Um, but uh, but he's a trooper, man. You know, I'll, I'll say it as uh, you know, as his tour manager, uh, you'd never know. Well, I guess it's a form of just reading uh, some other interviews. It, it's, it, I guess it's a form of arthritis. It looks like, and yeah. you know, it sounds like it's it's uh, fairly intrusive. But you know, that's great. I'm really glad to hear. You'd never know because, you know, obviously he loves music. He's into it. That's his life. I mean, that's really what I got out of the interview 10 years ago. He started at 15. You know what his first music involvement was? You know, he was telling me the other day, and I don't remember what it was. What he was, he uh, did uh, he did essentially roadie, you know, glorified roadie work for XTC. He's from the same town as XTC. That's right. That's what he was telling me. That's who he was telling me. Yeah, because I'm, uh, I'm, I grew up... Uh, you know, kind of in the 80s in L.A., and, uh, you know, we definitely, we got our, our plug of XTC, so I was like, oh, of course I've heard of that band, you know? On K-Rock, right? Of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm L.A. 80s myself. The quote-unquote world famous. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. And it was quite pioneering, there's no doubt, you know. When I, when I moved back here to... Cleveland, I've been back and forth between L.A. and Cleveland a couple times now, but when I moved back here to the Cleveland area in 90, I mean, it, it took, well, it actually took me <laughs> getting on the radio to do, I mean, there's still, in 1990, imagine that, there was no alt commercial alternative rock in Northeast Ohio. I mean, I was just stunned. I don't, I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. But man, I, I I kicked down that door. I started a weekly show. I, I was I was the local Rodney, you know, Rodney on the Rock. And it takes you know that guy was so amazing, and it takes people to like see it and want to pioneer it in other places like that, you know. And it's you know I just know from my own personal experience with many of other artists I've been with and stuff like that that uh, these artists couldn't do it if cats out there weren't like you know setting the trail like you, to do things like bringing alternative music to spots that don't have it in times when they don't have it, you know? Well, and thank it you. Really, no, it really <laughs> it makes a big difference, you know. Uh, these these uh, artists and musicians cannot get their stuff out there unless there's people to help facilitate that and people to listen to it. And everybody is super important in the process. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, and I certainly... Uh, certainly agree. Hey, um, any access to set list or anything like that? And, and does it change night to night? Or are they doing kind of the same thing? I haven't. I haven't even seen it yet. I haven't seen a set list. I literally, I have not even seen the show yet. I, like uh, I said, that's why when I got on, I was like, I don't know if I have very much. Info. You poor guy. I know. Hey, you know what? We should tell people though, because this is something you do know. What? Let's tell people what does uh, a tour manager do? You know, what are your duties? Well. Um, 
I have uh, a lot of duties. I mean, essentially, uh, once the tour is booked and put into effect that it's going to happen, it comes to me, and then I do what's called advancing the tour, which means I call all the venues, I set, in all, set up all the load-in times, I go over all the technical aspects, uh, I make sure that we have hotels, and then I go on the road with the band and essentially implement the plan that's been put in place by management and, and booking. Interesting. Uh, Who have you worked with? Uh, you know, I've worked with all kinds of different artists. The last artist I was with was uh, Peeping Tom last year. I've actually been a little semi-retired. I took a, little, took a year off. Uh, I did a lot of work in reggae. I did like five tours with Israel Vibration. Oh, wow. Uh, and I've been out with Shinehead. Um, I cross over a lot. I do some DJ work. I've, I've uh, tour managed uh, Mixmaster Mike and Z Trip. Um, you know, I do hip hop. I'm uh, I stage managed for Dan the Automator, so I was out on the Handsome Boy tour, and I did a 2K7 tour with Dan, which was great. Both of those tours were great. You know, it was like Prince Paul and all these just great hip hop artists that just super super great guys, super talented guys. You know, and I'm, I'm I will say on your radio radio show, I want to squash some of the misconception about hip hop artists. These guys are super nice super respectful, super professional, and really like just sitting in the back of the bus, working on rhymes, working on their music, really diligent in their careers. And, and you know, some of the, uh, the mentalities that people have about hip-hop artists are way off base. Well, that is really great to hear. I, I, we appreciate that. That's, that's very important. We had on uh, Praz Michelle on the show, and man, he was a fascinating guy. Uh, he's got a, a, a documentary out about he he lived homeless in downtown L.A. for I don't know was it a week or something, guys? Wow, I know it was a month, thirty days. A month, that's right. Yeah, and so we talked to him about that, and that was it was amazing. He was a fascinating guy, really bright, really committed, really interesting. All, all the things you just said, and, and so Coming but from that area, and you know that like. You know, you spend a week on the street in downtown L.A., that's that's not good. No, that's you, you know, serious. He was right there on Skid Row filming that documentary, and he said it was quite dangerous. Now, I happen to be a Peeping Tom fan, actually. Uh, how, how did you find working with Mike Patton on that tour? Mike Patton, that guy is full of energy. He, That dude is a super performer, man. He really, he's so sharp. He really uh, is a super, super performer just really uh, so many different influences in his music. Um, you know, uh, the band that was playing for him, these guys called Dub Trio, and they were really great. And um, he had a backup singer. Her name was Amani Coppola. She's out of New York, and she was super good. And then um, he got this beatboxer who was like this 18-year-old girl named Butterscotch, who just, she just was she out. born with that name? Uh, no, it's not her <laughs> given name. <laughs> but uh, she would um, she would slay people on the I mean, she just like just this kind of small, sweet looking girl, and just beatbox through the whole show, and then like get her solo and just really kill it. So it was he had a really uh, talented group of people around him, and then also Dan the Automator went on the tour and DJed for it. So it was uh, it was a good tour. We had a really uh, really good time. Played a lot of good shows. 
Um, and Peeping Tom's really cool because of the fact that, you know, Mike's got so many different projects that it just, it's very sure. different. Everything from, I, I know uh, he's actually responsible for one of my uh, all-time classic favorite videos, uh, Faith No More is Epic. I just oh, think yeah. that video is both the best and worst thing I've ever seen <laughs> at the same time. Well, tell you what, let's, uh, we are running out of time. We do need to move on with the show. So I, I want to thank you, Drew, for coming on and talking with us, filling in what must be uh, difficult and a little bit scary. I well, do want to... We uh, that's the thing about a tour manager too, man. Is you you got to fill a lot of roles and uh, just kind of do what needs to be done. <laughs> Even if it's calling up the radio guys and being like, "Hey, Jack's really sorry. You got me though," <laughs> you know. No, no, we appreciate it a lot, and and please do tell Jack. Yeah, I mean, we we completely understand, and obviously, getting the first show and a tour ready to go and equipment issues is, is takes precedence over blabbing with us for a few minutes. But yeah, we we'd love to have him on any uh any weekday. I think we do have someone booked uh for Friday, but you know, just any weekday at well, three Eastern we we could we'd love to have him on. You guys got uh, my contacts I believe because I got your information via email. So please send me an email with that number uh that we can I can call you up and set up a proper appointment. Okay. All right. We will do that. Thanks, Drew. I do, I, I do have Thanks one more so sample. Much. One more sample from the new album, Autoimmune. Uh, I'll play a little bit here of a song called Children of Earth from Autoimmune, the latest album from Meat Beat Manifesto. Hello from the children of sample to uh, uh, I Hold the Mic to this sample of Children Earth that gives you a little bit of an idea of the range to expect on the latest Meat Beat Manifesto album, which is again called Autoimmune. You can order that album from Amazon at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio or visit the official site at meatbeatmanifesto.com for more details on the album and to look for tour dates. Now, switching gears entirely from industrial electronic music to country roots Americana, uh, here's another sample. This one is actually uh, a sample of Stone Cold World from Caroline Herring. Hello? Yep, hang on just a second. Okay, great. I'm a selfish girl in the selfish world. And each town has her selfish ways and each girl has her selfish days. Especially me, longing to be free from all the old complaining crew and all the new ones mourning too. Then there was you, smiling when I couldn't smile, drawing me to tears, feeling out these aches and pains, 
Well, Caroline Herring was born in Mississippi, but her musical career took off from Austin, Texas. Her third album is called Lantana, and we just heard a bit of one track from that album, Stone Cold World. Uh, welcome to BC Radio Live, Carolyn. Thank you. Hi, Caroline. Eric Hi. Olson, really, really a pleasure to talk to you. I, I just have to tell you, this album, I hadn't heard, I'd heard of you, of course, but I had not listened to your music before, and I, I was just stunned by how good this album is. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you like it. It really holds together well, and you're a brilliant songwriter. I mean, wow. You know, the, the, you worked in a couple of, of standards, and, I mean, your material, not not to imply that it sounded old-fashioned or dated at all, because it doesn't, but, I mean, the quality of your songwriting fit right in with, you know, with, with classics. I mean, so, I mean, it really has a a lasting feel to it, and it's, it, I mean, it really is excellent stuff, I have to say. Well, I appreciate it. It was a long time coming, and I'm glad to have it out there. Yeah, you had about five years between albums, right? <laughs> I did. I did. It was too long for me, but life sort of got in the way there. Well, why don't you tell people what happened? Is that you got married, right, and, and uh, moved to Atlanta and had children? Yeah, yeah. I had two kids in that five years' time. And then I, I made this album about a year ago and, and shopped it. And so it it you know that whole process ran its course too, and altogether it took a while. Well, sure. Well, so how how and as I understand it, I mean, when you were literally finishing up, you know, with the record, you were you were about to give birth, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was very pregnant when I was doing all of this. So, uh, but actually, singing when you're pregnant, it's a great time to make a record because your voice is really strong. Really? Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. I had yeah. not heard that. Why do you think that is? Um, a lot of hormones that are, are, are moving around and all the different things that uh, generate in your body to make a new creature. It really helps your vocal cords. Oh, not, to get, not to get too detailed, but it, it, it's the best. Um, it's a great time to sing. That is really interesting. I had never heard that before. Yeah. Well, I get uh, some things just work out for the best, then, don't they? <laughs> right, right, they do. So, uh, since you, you know, you wrote this and you performed it, and it, and it really feels real and it really feels deep. Why don't you tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, some of the the influence of the various songs? I mean, where did these songs come from? It's a lot about being a woman, uh, about being a mother, and, and a lot of uh, real deep uh, southern influences, kind of a southern gothic, I suppose, is the cliche. But in, in, you, in this case, it, it really does resonate. There's kind of the, there, there's the warmth, and, and yet there's terror in there, too. Yeah, and I guess by terror, you're talking about paper gown. Well, is- you know, I am uh, on, on the surface level, since that's obviously such a, a terrible story and, and told in such an interesting and evocative way in that you you really succeed in putting the listener into the woman's mind and and you can you you can actually, you know, certainly not uh, justify, but at least you can understand the mindset that led to that. Well, I've listened to a lot of murder ballads because that's, you know, they're a big part of traditional music. And a lot of male murder ballads are, you know, I killed the person, I did it this way, and then the sheriff arrested me and I went to prison. It's fact after fact after fact. And when I was writing this, I thought, well, how would a woman go about writing her story about a murder she committed. 
And so that's that was my angle. And so, you know, I figured Susan Smith would be deluded and pretty self-absorbed and um, thinking about her terrible past. And in her confession letter, she wrote that the kids were with Jesus and in a better place. And, you know, and she was desperately in love. And so I... Um, I tried to incorporate all that, and it's, it is very creepy, and the story, it's just her whole life is a tragedy. Well, let us uh, let me play a sample here. I've got about a minute 13 or so of Paper Gown. It is the story of uh, for, about Susan Smith, who, as uh, listeners may recall, uh, killed her two children. Uh, and here's Paper Gown. Molten stars shine bright for a day The moon lights up a watery grave Woods move in the nighttime breeze That lives from the lake through the trees On the night that defined my name Fantasy or monster you Watch my boys ride the incline down All for a paper gown Long ago I used to be A little girl on my daddy's knee Dreams lie like diamond rings Babies and pretty And that was Paper Gown from the new Caroline Herring album, Lantana. Very powerful stuff. And creepy. It's interesting to hear, to me to hear you describe it as being kind of in the, the history of, you know, I, I shot a man in Reno just to watch him die. Um, it's got such a different feel, such a different approach, and yet you're right. I mean, it is, it is the same basic idea of a murder ballad. Yeah. Yeah, so. Hi, uh. I've, I've been singing it a lot lately because of this new album, and I, I would love to give it a little vacation. It creeps me out <laughs> when, I, when I sing it every night. But. Well, let's talk about uh, your your schedule, and, and we haven't mentioned the website yet, which is excellent, by the way. You have all kinds of information, and it's it's very useful, and all the music's there, and, and great bio, and and pictures you just you don't look old enough to have that much depth to your voice and you have that alto you know you look you look like you would be you know one of the one of the little sopranos you know the little americana sopranos but you have such a commanding alto voice well thank you um my pleasure <laughs> the site by the way i should mention it is www.carolineherring h e r r i n g .com and uh, let's see, where are you playing? On Saturday, you're going to be at the Gray Eagle in Asheville, North Carolina. Yes. Yes, I um, am going to be there with Everybody Fields, and then next week I'll be in the D.C. area. Because I have two small kids, I, I do a lot of short trips, and, and those work pretty well. It's sometimes hard to find good gigs on Monday and Tuesday night anyway. And uh, so I've spent some time in the Northeast the past couple of weeks and um, am just making the rounds. 
Yeah, but then you're heading for the Netherlands, right? You're heading for Europe. Yeah, you know, the, I have been going to the Netherlands regularly for the past four or five years. Huh? Yeah, I um, that that whole area. I've played festivals in Denmark and the Netherlands, and then in Scotland, and uh, and and England. And there's a great uh, concert series in Paris. There's a wonderful um, circuit for singer songwriters like myself. Wow. Yeah. How did how did you get started with that? When I lived in Texas, uh somebody must have heard of me because when I went to the Netherlands for the first time, I I noticed that lots of Texas songwriters were on the same circuit I was. So, uh they they seemed to love the western swing Texas country sound. Huh. And I well, got moved into that. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> I do three. <laughs> so how is it traveling with the kids? Do you have any special routine? Oh, I uh, the routine is not to, right? Now. <laughs> it's just uh, a bit crazy, and uh, I mean you can imagine trying to combine singing on stage and mothering, uh, especially at that time of day, is 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 tough. Right now they're little, and it's best that they're at home. But in a few years, I can see them at festivals, run around, hearing great fiddlers and. Uh, pedal steel players and singers and 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 doing their thing. So. Well, speaking of kids, my favorite song on the album is "Lover Girl." Oh. And I have a four-year-old, not a girl, a boy. But yeah. man, that just when I saw that your daughter was uh, was four, is four. Yeah. Uh, it just boy, it really hit me. Brought I honestly brought a genuine tear to my eye, and it was not the virus. Oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm glad you liked it. Well, you know they. They're trying to establish their independence and yet still so little and changing before your eyes. And are you a good parent and you want to be? But, you know, all of a sudden we we have to, we grow up and we take on these huge roles and hope we're up for it. And I think we are. But it's, it's a, you know, it's monumental. And, and as you always seem to, you, you see both sides of it. You're seeing that, you know, mischievous, uh, the mischievous side too. You, you, you do not... Um, you do not sugarcoat life, and and I think that's a lot of uh, where your songwriting power comes from. You, you're very honest in your approach to things, and and uh, you know that's really pretty unusual. People, we live in an age where where everything is so confessional, and yet so much of that confessing feels false hmm. to me. Well, but you do not. Well, thank you. I uh, <laughs> I hope not. I get tired of that confessional tone too and, and 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 that type of songwriting it can be wonderful but I, I I sound so sappy when I write that way and so I just have to cross those lines out and try again. <laughs> well, you you're you're it's also a very poetic approach. I mean, it's very compressed and and it feels like you really work hard on the songs. It's not just things you dash off. I I, I we're running out of time, as always. What what a show tonight! I'll tell you, it's really really interesting cross section of people, and we appreciate your coming on. But uh, again, we want to mention CarolineHerring.com. But uh, I, I wanted to to ask, do you have any favorites on the record? Yeah. Um, I like "Lay My Burden Down." I think that's a nice gospel tune, and uh, I'm very fond of "Midnight on the Water." It's an old Texas fiddle tune, which I love, and I'm also a big Kate Wolf fan, and she sang that song. And so that was a nod to her in a lot of ways. And Song for Faye, 
I this is the last song on the record. It's from a Larry Brown record. I mean, from a Larry Brown uh, book, um, a, a character of the same name. And I wrote that for a tribute album for him on Bloodshot Records, and then it also is on this record. Well, it's really a great record, and it, people uh, people listening, you know, even if you're not particularly inclined toward either singer songwriter or Americana, this one really transcends the genre, and it's just it's just really great music. And I was just, uh, you know, I'm I'm a medium singer songwriter, medium Americana fan, and but I love this record. I'm so glad. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate your being here. Well, the, uh, the new album the new album is called Lancana. You can order the album, as always, at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. And Caroline's official website, as we've mentioned a couple of times, is carolineherring.com. That's C-A-R-O-L-I-N-E-H-E-R-R-I-N-G.com. And thank you very much for talking with us tonight, Caroline. You're welcome. Well, thank you again also to, uh, to Drew, the tour manager, filling in for Jack Dangers tonight. Also to uh, Mary Roach, who spoke with us earlier, and to Michael Matone, as well as to my co-hosts each and every week, Eric Olson and Lisa McKay. This has been BC Radio Live. We broadcast live every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, so be sure to visit us live to participate in the chat room, watch the live video feed, if you do miss the live broadcast, audio archives are available online, or you can subscribe to the podcast to have BC Radio Live delivered to you each week. Another note is to always check blogcritics.org slash bcradio. We are constantly adding new shows, and uh, you can always find an up-to-date or pretty close to up-to-date schedule there. Uh, one more programming note. Well, I've got a few seconds that we've run late. A couple of weeks ago, Ray Reese was on the show, and he mentioned that he was going to send me a copy of his book, Abigail and Gangland. It did show up a couple of evenings ago. I stayed up till 1.30 reading it, as I suspected I might. It is a very good read. Highly recommended. Abigail and Gangland by Ray Reese. Until next week, aloha. Aloha.